What is up, Freaks? It's your boy, Marty Ben, here to introduce this rip of TFTC, rip number 326, sat down with Roast Beef. Lalu's his real name. Roast Beef is his. Nim. Eh, it's not a Nim. Associated with his real name. CTO of Lightning Labs. We talked op CTV, uh, this messy governance situation. It's not a situation. It's just part of Bitcoin. Rough consensus. How do you get things merged? We talked about that for a bit. Uh, obviously, we talked about Taro, which is this taproot asset representation overlay that Lalu announced right before Bitcoin 2022 and presented at Bitcoin 22. Uh, we went deep into that overlay protocol and and what it can do for for Bitcoin and the Lightning Network and unique ways in which Taproot and the uh, Merkleize asset syntax trees Merkleize it's not asset abstract Merkleized abstract syntax trees mass is used to to bring Taro to fruition. Um, I'm really excited, really bullish. We talked about LSAT too. You guys are going to listen to the episode. I don't have to tell you what we talked about. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to bring you financial services, to bring you security, to bring you education, to bring you white glove concierge service that'll take you from zero to having a two or three multi-sig vault set up where you hold two keys and Unchained holds one key. This is important. You eliminate single points of failure. If you have all your Bitcoin on an exchange, that is a single point of failure. Bitcoin exchanges are known to get hacked. They're known to be targets of regulatory scrutiny. One day you can wake up, you can either not have your Bitcoin because the exchange lost it or not have access to it because somebody went to the exchange and said, don't give the freak access to his Bitcoin just because we said so. Unchained helps you eliminate that single party risk, okay? By creating a two or three signature vault, a multi-sig vault where you hold two keys again. So you have full control of your Bitcoin as long as you have those two keys. Not even Unchained can prevent you from moving those Bitcoin. You can move them whenever you want. Um, but Unchained does have a key in case you get in a pinch and you need them uh, to, to move your Bitcoin. On top of this, they're providing financial services. They have a lending desk. They have an IRA product. Uh, they're they're building out a, a banger, banger team. Go check out everything they have going on at Unchained.com. Unchained.com. Use the code TFTC. If you want to do the white glove kind of share service, you'll get $50 off. That package comes with video conference calls, hardware wallets, and a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats dumped in your vault once it's all set up. This rip was also brought to you by good friends at Brains. 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 The team with the brains to bring you the Brains OS Plus firmware that's going to help you stack more sats with your ASICs. If you're in the mining world and you have an ASIC, one of those computers that, that produces hashes that allow you to connect to a mining pool that then pays you in sats for contributing to producing hashes that allow you to add blocks of transactions to the Bitcoin network. Brains OS Plus firmware, uh, if you download it on an ASIC, if that ASIC is compatible, it's going to help you stack more sats because you're going to be producing more hashes, uh, which is going to get you more sats at the end of the day from uh, the mining pool or your your own pool, your, your own self-mining um, operation if you have one. Uh, Brains OS Plus firmware is the firmware that Brains is working on. They're also the team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest mining pool in Bitcoin's existence, the first ever mining pool. It's, it's survived. A lot have 
have come and gone, but Slushpool has remained steadfast, a stalwart in the mining pool industry. If you're using Brains OS Plus firmware on your ASIC and you point your hash at Slushpool, you're going to get 0% fees from Slushpool. So um, that's a good perk. You don't have to point your Brains OS Plus firmware uh, enabled ASIC at Slushpool. However, if you do, you get those fees uh, waived, the, the pool fees. Uh, they've got insights.brains.com, an incredible website that'll uh, allow you to get a, a whole perspective of the mining industry, profitability, hash rate, difficulty, pool distribution, uh, the you know, profitability of individual ASIC models, the, the whole shabam, insights.brains.com. Go to brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Check out everything they have going on. It's all consolidated in that one web website at brains.com you'll see slush pool firmware the dashboard the good content brains.com b-r-a-i-i-n-s.com last but not least this room was brought to you by our good friends at hodl 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 is here to bring you a no no kyc no aml lending uh platform that, that leverages bitcoin's native multi-sig properties you put bitcoin up as collateral in a two or three multi-sig escrow account you hold one key your counterparty in the loan holds one key and then hodl hodl is the third key the arbiter in the situation um the beauty of this you don't have control of the bitcoin throughout the duration of the loan however since you hold a key in the two or three multi-sig wallet you have visibility into the wallet which gives you the the ability to have confidence that your bitcoin is not being rehypothecated after you put it up as collateral to get stable coin liquidity you put your bitcoin up in the two or three multi-sig, you get stable coins in return. As long as you're paying back that lo- loan plus the interest attached to it, you are going to get your sats back at the end of the day. The other side of that marketplace is the people giving out the stable coins. If you have stable coins and you want to enter a peer-to-peer um, uh, anonymous lending market, you can do that at HODL HODL. Uh, lend.hodlhodl.com is the lending platform. Uh, HODL HODL also has a peer-to-peer exchange. Just go to hodlhodl.com for that. Um, they're building incredible tools and products at Hoddle Hoddle, bang up team, really staying true to Bitcoin's ethos of peer-to-peer um, commerce and leveraging Bitcoin's native properties to to bring a future financial product. Well, it exists today. It's not a future financial product. It's here today, but they're creating a vision of, of what a future financial company may look like. Lend.hodlhodl.com for the lending platform. Enjoy this riff with Lalu, one of the smartest humans in Bitcoin, potentially on the planet. Um, people say he talks too fast. I, I understood him very well. I didn't think he, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't too fast for me. Maybe, maybe my brain could just process things faster. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe your Uncle Marty has the, the fast, fast processor brain waves. I don't know what it is. People are like, oh, you're going to put it on, I don't think you have to put it on one half speed. I thought, I thought his I thought his pace was fine. En- enjoy it. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. 
I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Boom. Lalo. Yo. You just got out of a bolt meeting talking about specs. We're talking yeah. about uh, how you get things implemented in Bitcoin. It's very, uh, very hot topic right now. And you were just describing what, what was it? The Trinity? Uh, yeah, like the, you know, the Holy Trinity or like the triumvirate, uh, mm -hmm. you know, which is basically like developers, miners, and then users, right? Uh, and I think depending, like, you know, because like, you know, obviously the CTV going right now, I think there's kind of like a bigger meta discussion basically of like how things are done in the first place, right? I feel like some individuals don't want to define how things are done because they feel like the system is better to be a little bit murky basically and not necessarily give a blueprint. Maybe that's fine. It's kind of like a more rough thing. People are saying, okay, well, you know, in times of, you know, a crisis or maybe kind of like some sort of existential evolutionary thing, maybe like, you know, regulation can get too crazy. We need better tools on chain. Maybe we should have like a framework, right? I think some of framework that I think, you know, people, I know Rusty, Rusty has wrote a blog with us in the past. I think Ryan uh, Gentry and also Buck have also written about this, kind of like this model of, okay, well, you know, what exactly are the roles, right? So, you know, it's something like a developer is basically proposed. They write the code, they do the diligence, basically, they make sure things aren't going to be, you know, super crazy, uh, you know, at all, right, at that point, right? Uh, you can say miners, like, ratify, as in, okay, they they say, okay, everyone else is good, let's kind of, like, stamp the thing and put it in. And they say users, you know, basically have the control to basically, like, you know, like, veto or reject it, right? Um, I feel like certain individuals maybe, like, couple the user, I guess the other thing is the user is somewhat a problematic category, because, like, okay, well, who's a user? Miners also user, developer users, kind of like that. How do you actually capture economic users as well, too? And also, like, you know, how do you acknowledge that, like, you know, many Bitcoin users don't even know this discussion is happening right now, you know, at all, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe they're depending on it for their livelihood around the world. Basically, they're actually using it, you know, day to day. So exactly how do you define that itself, right? I think right now some discussion is kind of like, um, you know, assuming that developers have a role in ratification, basically, right? And that and that being, okay, merge it into Bitcoin D or whatever other mutations, right? Um, so it's kind of a thing where it's like, to me, I think it should just be primarily a proposal. But you can say in order to like have it happen, then maybe all soft fork activation needs to actually happen outside of the main line, right? Because otherwise, you know, you know, you can say the maintainers and Bitcoin D developers are kind of like put in a weird position where it's like their inaction is maybe viewed as like a veto, right? Uh, and I think I've been my that position myself in the past, you know, certain things in LND or the spec or something like that. And that's not the best place to have them in generally. So it seems like things should move in that direction of like doing it outside. That's a little more difficult, obviously, because that increases the coordination cost, right? If it's in Bitcoin D, everyone updates, boom, everything's fine, it's rolled out, everything's cool. But now it's like, okay, well, which client am I going towards over here? So it's definitely like a messy thing. Uh, and I think another th part of it is like, okay, well, you know, is Bitcoin D Bitcoin, right? Uh, some people say yes. I myself say no. You know, I contribute to BCD, an alternative client. I think that's important for kind of like giving people an option and also just recognizing that like, you know, at the end of the day, like the social, the social scalability of a Git repo is only so high. Uh, and I think people need that option to basically focus elsewhere, basically. Um, but, you know, that's just kind of like my summarization of like, I think the meta discussion right now. Obviously, there's kind of like the covenants thing. I think that's been, you know, move forward. I think but in the past people are kind of like, oh, governance is great. But now it's like, okay, well, we want them. Maybe they disagree on how to get there. But I think there's also kind of like meta discussion that was somewhat, um, you know, swooped away with Taproot as far as the way speedy trials things like that happened as well too. But it's kind of a thing where inevitably there isn't some sort of conclusion. It's going to be like this and be very murky and be difficult. And some people think that's a feature as well. Uh, so, yeah. 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 We had our bit devs here in Austin last week and Jeremy was here putting forth the case uh, for OpCTV and his perspective, mm -hmm. in which he mentioned exactly this, like the maintainers aren't really giving any feedback. So I don't know like how I would get it implemented in core. And maybe mm -hmm. that n non-feedback is 
a slight nod towards, hey, maybe try it somewhere else. And that, mm-hmm. and then after Bit Devs had a conversation with another dev who wants Op CTV, and he mentioned that too. I think the maintainers specifically, there's five on the planet that have commit access to Bitcoin Core. Mm-hmm. That the way it was described to me from from this individual was, yeah, they're they're at a point where they think uh, they they want to stay out of it. Like they don't want to they don't want to signal either way. And so everybody, well, has yeah, to which is a reasonable thing because no one wants to be like feel like they're caught up in this weird thing and there's like external pressure, you know, on you and things like that. And I think another, you know, way Jeremy's put in the past is that like, you know, he kind of like views the, um, you know, unspoken part about the users kind of like being in control is also kind of like a product management aspect as well too, right? Where it's like, okay, well, developers have these different ways we can do it, but it's kind of like a thing. It's like a meta thing. Okay, well, should we wait longer? Should we go with this initial thing? What's the market demand look like? Things like that are somewhat missing from the equation at times. Uh, and obviously it's a very you know nuanced conversation. No one, I don't have the answer. Don't have the answers. I think that's why, you know, that's why we're generally, you know, here in this period. But generally I think this is very healthy discussion. Uh, and, you know, I think some people uh, sort of blowing it out that, oh, this this big attack, whatever else. Well, it's like, I mean, you know, he feels like he's just putting it out there for people to, to go or not. Like he thinks he's done his job as a developer to propose and then it's up to whatever else from there. If people think they really need to like, you know, directly oppose it by like trying to reject it, cool. To me, that's like someone against the spirit of Bitcoin. It's kind of like, okay, well, you know, my coins are still secure. I can still audit the, the supply, I can run the numbers basically. They can try something else as long as it doesn't mess my stuff up. I don't necessarily need to like, prevent them from doing something I don't like as long as there's not some essential risk. Some people think there are. Yeah, I don't know. There's like, <laughs> there's like five different sides of this thing. And obviously yeah. always just privilege we have to like watch from the background and just see how things are flowing because obviously these are you know very important conversations, I think. Yeah, this new concept of a user rejected soft fork. Um, yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is, you know, Jeremy like actually he wrote a script for that. So people want to do it. Like he has like this Python script that will look at, you know, version bit signaling and just reject it. If they really want to do that, they can. But it's, uh, you know, I don't know if we're really at that point yet. Um, and, you know, even if all the stuff doesn't go through, I think it, it still like moves the conversation forward, uh, you know, both as far as activation and also covenants, right? So, you know, if anything, I think major props to Jeremy for like getting us to this point, basically, and having people, you know, discuss this thing because they feel like that's something that's so repressing, you know, no matter like how they're interpreting it or kind of like looking at sides. These are just like important conversations, I think, generally, uh, you know, for the system. I agree. And for me, at least from my perspective, the, the the main holdup that I have is again a speedy trial. Is speedy trial the best mm-hmm. activation route? Exactly right. So yeah, so some people are like, okay, well, cool CTV or whatever else, but we don't really like this, you know, ST aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's you know speaks to some of the activation stuff, you know, as well. And I think it's interesting also that like you know originally version bits like you know bit nine basically developed stuff that individuals can make sure you have like you know multiple concurrent softwares, right? So okay, you know, we have a bunch of bits, we can signal three or four of these things or whatever else. And that I thought was a very, you know, uh, laudable kind of like goal as far as protocol design, but that hasn't really happened yet, right? Uh, and I think it hasn't happened just because of like the somewhat serial nature of people looking and reviewing and stuff and also like, getting things, you know, into Bitcoin D because like they're like, okay, well, it's better if we all focus on one thing at a given time, right? But in theory, you know, if someone wants to signal uh, a future proof software I don't really know about, like the software actually has a built-in system to basically warn you if there's a software you don't really know about, right? It's in the logs. You can actually detect that as well too. So I think that feature should somewhat be embraced uh, just because otherwise like, you know, things may be somewhat surprising, right? Maybe there is demand for this thing that you didn't really know about, but you threw it out there. Because otherwise there's this kind of like circular discussion around like what is or what isn't consensus. It's kind of a thing where it's like, you know, it's like a note what you see aspect as well too, but then there's kind of like, you know, the intermediate phases of, okay, well, if we can't give it a shot, how do we know that something does or does not have, you know, consensus, consensus you can say? Yes, exactly. That's the whole the whole rough consensus is this weird yeah. amorphous thing that cannot be yeah. perfectly defined and pe- that yeah, yeah. bugs people. 
But I, I think there's certainly demand for these types of covenants. I mean, I've talked to people specifically that work at larger custodians and they mm-hmm. have a very uh, high demand for the type of functionality that OpsyTV would, would enable, especially in yeah, terms definitely. of batching and yeah. stuff like I mean, that. So now I say that's like a big victory, I think, and something in general, we kind of stuff on the back and that like people were talking about covenants in like a non-scary way, looking at utility, looking at kind of like, you know, other possibilities and like that as well too. And I will say, you know, one thing I think uh, somewhat like deters from kind of like better, more nuanced conversations. I think sometimes people get overly caught up in particular solutions or incentations of kind of like what's possible, right? For example, like, you know, CTV enables covenants, right? But also lets you just kind of like do many other things as far as like, you know, having this like compiled on-chain state machine that can be useful for a bunch of other things as well too. So it's kind of, you know, I definitely think it's useful to like pitch a particular use case, but also understand the kind of like some of the generalizability, right? For example, something like L2, L2, or sorry, uh, no input, you know, no input enables things like L2, but also just like, it's just a very useful toolkit in like high level protocol design generally, right? So for example, if, if you have something like no input, ignoring L2, we could do things like RBF the funding transaction, which isn't really possible today, right? Because if you RBF mm-hmm. it, then the current transaction signature is invalidated because it's based on TXID uh, versus the script itself with multi, we don't know changes, right? So, so there's kind of like that like balance of looking at like the generalizability kind of like application to other contexts versus that particular thing. Uh, just because like if you say something like a vault, right? People know in the abstract, but it's also kind of like a very large design space, basically. But what do you actually do you want in general? And I think like you were saying as well, anyone that's like, you know, doing a lot of custody really wants something like that. And also I think it should be a thing where, you know, uh, like self-custody is one of the biggest things about Bitcoin itself and kind of like, you know, the main thing that added, you can you actually have an option basically. So anything that like makes that a lot easier and more widely applicable to people that, you know, aren't hardcore Electrum, you know, PSBT users or whatever else, I think it should be a big thing going forward. Uh, generally, and I think people are starting to emulate these in other ways. For example, like the block wallet is looking at some things to basically make you know custody easier for like larger, uh, you know, for kind of like not super technical individuals. So I think that's a, a big thing. And like you know, anything we can do to enable like more non-custodial applications or just systems to build on top of Bitcoin is like plus plus. That's essentially like resistance, basically, right? Uh, and that's something that you know we definitely shouldn't like, lose sight of. I think there's also kind of like a risk that like you know that's something I worry about at times. Like anytime there's like some like you know very big acceleration of like you know either attention or adoption or like regulatory energies. Like, okay, well, have we done enough to get to this point, basically, right? In that okay, you know we're growing, but then all kind of like the environment's also growing. Also, adversaries are growing themselves as well too. But like you know, do, have we done enough to basically make sure we can get through that next boss? It's kind of like a thing if you go like an RPG mm-hmm. or something like that. You go against a boss, like did you grind enough? You know, or, or your stat points high enough? Do you have like the, the proper gear, basically? Or are you gonna get one shot it, right? And it's kind of a thing where it's like. The one shot is a very, you know, dire existential thing because maybe we don't get another chance, right? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like a game where, like, you know, when you die, you lose all your stats, right? You lose everything or something, right? So it's like, you know, are we really ready for that? Uh, and, you know, I think some people that, like, promote, you can say, maybe, like, premature ossification or something like that, don't necessarily take that into account, right? It's okay, well, to me, because I think there's a kind of, like, a negative failure where if we, like, ossify prematurely, basically, and we can't really adapt and, you know, extend the system in the future, maybe we fail because you know, our like intellect, you know, or strength points or whatever else, you know, wasn't high enough to get to that next big boss. Uh, and, you know, obviously I don't have all the answers. They're just like a very fascinating you know, topic to think about and kind of like, you know, theorize on and just like, you know, watch. Because I think I've seen like, you know, many different accelerating, uh, you know, events basically. Uh, and definitely in the last few years, there's been a bunch of them. It's like, okay, whoa, like, you know, we're on the global stage now necessarily. Mm-hmm. People are talking about the utility of Bitcoin, you know, beyond just like the whole scammer, you know, drug, well, they talk about okay, well, people using it for their livelihood. And that's a massive thing and a massive opportunity as well. And just to make sure we're ready to kind of like, you know, ride that wave and make sure we're ready for that next year of adoption. You know, is, you know something we uh, think about. Yeah. In years past, but obviously with the fork wars, we found that, that market pressures the demand for either higher blocks or 
heavier blocks via SegWit um, sort of mm. force the change on the protocol. Like as you said, like if the bosses get bigger and the mm. pressure gets greater, will the network be able to adapt uh, the way it was when it was smaller? And it's and like you said, you didn't say it directly, but there is no respawns in Bitcoin. Like we have. Yeah, exactly. There's not necessarily a respawn, like right. And I think it's another thing as well. It's like you know, if it goes and goes down, everything else does kind of. It's kind of like you know, uh, they're like a cheap clone or something like that, and they're still tethered to the root parent. And if that dies, everything else withers away. Um, so, but yeah, it's definitely you know, interesting thing just to consider as far as like you know, crafting the system to make sure it's more resilient, uh, you know, in the future. Uh, and you know, and I think it's another thing too where one thing, one other positive trend I think I've, I've seen is kind of like people talking about more generalizability, basically. Uh, you know, in terms of like, okay, well, what's the simplicity look like? What's like some other kind of like, you know, you know, microcode language look like? What's like, you know, uh, some zero and all stuff look like? Because at that point, you can say, okay, well, if you have something that's somewhat more extensible and generalizable, that could be the change to end all changes, you know, other than some existential, you know, quantum thing or something like that, right? Or something that maybe is like, like a breaking cryptography. At that point, like, you know, it's less about like needing to go to bat every single time you think of some new, you know, use case or application like that. So, okay, well, let me just use what's here. And obviously there's kind of like some care needs to be done as far as like selecting that thing. So it's not too crazy. At the end of the day, because we have UTXOs, there's no like global, you know, account state, you know, things are just a lot simpler and a lot more analyzable because it's more like a state machine that you can kind of like draw out in, in some cases versus like, you know, this thing where anything can call anything else. And that's where a lot of like the craziness happens. And that's why like, you know, people have all these multi-million dollar hacks and things like that. Yeah. And how do you, how do you think the best way to get there is this layered? fashion does taro help with this at all oh uh, good good question like i think um i think it's a combo of like certain incremental you know changes basically but at the same time looking at that like big let's make the change so we don't really have to make as many changes in the future right uh and you know that definitely is very as something that's been running for you know several years now as well too like i don't know i'm optimistic that we can get there uh and i think i think things like taro kind of like you know, help to like spur people's imaginations as far as like what can be built on the chain itself, how to like, you know, approach certain design principles and also maybe how to like take some of like what's happening elsewhere in the space uh, that like can actually be repurposed and like, you know, uh, used as like new design parameters as well too. So, so I think that's, you know, something that I think is important to basically show people what's really possible there. Uh, and I think as, as we should continue to do, I think we'll have like more application developers on Bitcoin, which will help to like you know, shape or inform what changes should be there as well, right? Because some people, not everyone like necessarily, you know, designs kind of like other application protocol in Bitcoin, maybe they focus on like some more serial thing, but I think some of that like, um, you know, uh, input is super valuable. For example, like people like uh, working on the matrix stuff on Liquid, things like that, where it's like, okay, well, that's, you know, they did a best shot with kind of like what was available. We can use that to refine exactly how we can make those things more succinct or accessible uh, in the future. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about Tara. I mean, that's why we, uh, we were here. We uh, you announced it at sure, Bitcoin sure. 2022. Yeah, uh, you gave a presentation the day before. The day before. <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, yeah. so Taro, uh, Taproot Asset Representation Overlay is a, how would you describe it? A new second layer solution to extend the uh, uh, functionality of, of Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's basically a way to like, you know, uh, add kind of like this overlay layer via like a set of like structured commitments, basically. It's kind of like a thing where it's like, you know, Taro says, hey, you know, yo dog, I heard you like Merkle trees. You know, here's a whole bunch of other trees within the tree that like you know, can do proofs about the tree. Uh, and that's just kind of like uh, the principle of it where you embed certain kind of like structured metadata uh, in like the main taproot tree itself. And it uses like a new tree structure and that tree structure, um, you know, is important because it lets you do things like non-inclusion. For example, like let's say, you know, I was like swapping 
you know, some like, you know, collective or something like that. I want to base, I want to prove, I want you to prove to me you don't know I'm committing to it. It also supports, you know, kind of like this Merkle Sun property, which is useful for like, you know, verifying supply and just kind of like, uh, you know, audibility as well too. For example, like, you know, let's say like, you know, I had 10 beef bucks and I was giving some to you. Well, I want you to prove to me you're not committing to all 10. It should be seven, I get three, right? So kind of like, you know, uh, it really just tries to put forth a lot of the considerations as far as like safe transfers at the core of the protocol and doesn't try to hide them basically. So now it's kind of like, you know, one of the main goals is trying to like, you know, try to make things as simple as possible basically, right? Because otherwise, you know, uh, it's very easy to get caught up in the massive design space, you know, of this stuff in general basically. I think also just kind of constraining yourself purposely from the design perspective, you know, is a really good, um, you know, kind of like just trade uh, because then it makes it easier to understand for other individuals. They can also uh, more easily analyze it as well too. And it's very easy to kind of like ask and you know, respond to questions. And then most of all, it's also going to make the implementation very, very simple as well too. So I think once people see, once we drop, you know, this code, uh, you know, coming out soon, soon, uh, it's, it's actually pretty compact, right? Once you look at kind of like the way everything is done, because as much as possible, it basically tries to reuse things from Bitcoin, right? Uh, it tries like, you know, for example, like, um, you know, for a VM, rather than like making this entirely new, you know, virtual machine, which is kind of a big thing where, you know, you can do anything last whatever else. Basically, it's like, well, let's just kind of like map what we have into what looks like a Bitcoin transaction, basically, and then validate that with using the Bitcoin VM itself, which already saves a bunch of time. But at the same time, like, you know, it gives us an opportunity in the future to add more advanced ones. We actually know what that looks like and what the demand looks like itself, right? Now, in this case, people can just say, okay, well, you know, I'll take this thing, I'll map it into one input, one input transaction, validate it, boom, everything's fine there, right? So because of that, I think, uh, People will find once they really dig into it and like we you know finalize some of the spec, it's, it's pretty compact implementation wise, which I think is great because that's going to make a lot of these people to adopt it in the future and also just analyze to make sure that you know it does you know what it says uh, you know it actually does. Yeah, and so uh, let's compare it to similar protocols that Bitcoiners try to leverage via Bitcoin in the past. You have Counterparty, you have Omni, which both I believe Counterparty did. I know for sure Omni did, but they both leveraged op return. Then, yeah, exactly. They both did. I'm still somewhat confused about the lineage there. Even I've like corrected the BIP a few times trying to say which one came first or something like that. But yeah, you know, so those were very on in the like, you know, very early on the on Bitcoin. Like, you know, that was like 2013, 2014, you know, Counterparty had that big like burn where they burned like a few thousand BTC basically to get these other things on the side. And I think the main difference between something like Taro and those is that like, um, you know, those effectively work by like, you know, writing all of the transaction data within the Bitcoin chain using an operator term, right? So therefore, in order to kind of like, you know, realize exactly, like, you know, who, who owns all the assets or kind of like doing their other operations, you basically need to actually scan the entire chain and then get every single operator turn in there, basically, then apply that to your update locally, right? So, you know, it resembles more of like an account model, right? You have like an account of all these other things and you basically apply all these other updates, right? One of the reasons that that's a little bit more, um, you know, difficult and I think why it didn't really, um, you know, get much adoption is like, number one, like, uh, it's not very like client friendly, right? For example, for me to know what my balance is, I basically need to scan the entire chain and do that. Otherwise, I basically delegate to another individual, right? Uh, but also, it's actually, you know, pretty, uh, it, it also presents like a heavy share of Bitcoin notes themselves, right? Because you know, if you like, basically need something like an address index, which basically lets you like, you know, look up uh, the particular balance of a certain address, basically, and that's the also massive thing. It's also very, that could maintain, you know, like that. And I think also like, um, you know, it was somewhat hyper-specialized, or at least kind of party. Like, there was this whole, like, smart property thing, you know, back then, like, the doorknob, all blah. So if you look at the protocol, mm -hmm. there's things like, okay, property ID, which is really just the asset. But it was, you know, so it was kind of like, you can say, uh, a little bit too hyper-specific, I think, for the time. But if you look at it now, uh, it's just not very, like, intuitive for a Bitcoin developer, right? It doesn't look like the tools we use elsewhere, like Taproot, input the operator, whatever else. It's kind of like an entirely different world. So one of the goals for something like Tower is basically make sure it's like very familiar to that Bitcoin developer, basically, because like it's just like a one input, one output. Right? For example, like, you know, because of this, let's say I wanted to do like some type of like swap thing on chain, like kind of like a normal atomic swap, right? Okay, well, that's just a multi-input, multi multi-output, right? Maybe I have like, you know, USDT is an input over here, then I have like Bitcoin as an input over here, and we swap that on the other side. 
boom, it's fully atomic. That's done. And we know how to do that pretty well. And this also is going to leverage, you know, for example, like it's going to leverage all these tools like PSBT, things like that. I can like maybe send you like a partial offer or something like that. We can move it around. Um, so that was one of the main, you know, uh, design goals as far as making it simple. Also making a shirt uh, set that was like a little more Bitcoin friendly, but also at the same time, kind of like, you know, showing where things could go in the future, right? As far as like certain more custom properties and transactions, where so you can say, okay, in the future, that could actually be the exact same way Bitcoin transactions are done today, where you basically have like one input, one output, basically. Uh, and you can verify everything, uh, you know, using that because you don't necessarily care about, you know, the outputs, as long as the outputs, you know, aren't creating more Bitcoin than the inputs. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned beef bucks, uh, <laughs> another, yeah. another first use case that many people go to is stable coins. Like, so how, yeah. like, what's like, as somebody, there's a lot of Bitcoiners out there who are very skeptical mm -hmm. of these digital assets. Like, are they necessary? Mm -hmm. What do they do? Um, mm -hmm. and, and do we even need them? Well, sats are a unit of account. Why, why do we need these assets mm -hmm. when we can just mm -hmm. exchange sats for the assets we want to, we, we want to use? So, do we need a plethora of digital assets, uh, associated to the Bitcoin blockchain? And like, so how would you, uh, yeah, position? Yeah, I think it's definitely... Yeah, it's definitely, you know, a really good question. Uh, and just kind of like, you know, in terms of like, you know, motivation, I guess like I'm at the point of view where it's like, for me, you know, Bitcoin is basically it as far as like, you know, kind of like the uh, internet gold, you know, salmon use case itself. But like, you know, people are going to make a bunch of other, you know, random stuff on the side, right? And I think in the past, it was the case where Bitcoin was kind of like the main crossing pair, right? You know, because, you know, before, you know, Tether and things like that really blew up, every single like altcoin or whatever else was like dominated in BTC. Filecoin, BTC, Namecoin, BTC, whatever else, didn't really matter. Everyone wanted more BTC at the end of the day, right? I think, you know, uh, as like things started to grow across the more ecosystem, that kind of like went away somewhat, right? I think, you know, I think, because uh, you, you can say in the past, it was very difficult to use sort of like arbitrage opportunity, but stablecoin made that a lot easier, right? It made it a lot easier to basically pop up new exchanges in different jurisdictions as well, too. But I think as that has kind of like, you know, moved away from Bitcoin, that kind of like has somewhat diminished that network effect. Bitcoin is kind of like that main crossing pair, basically, right? Because to me, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, stuff isn't going to exist. I just want to make sure that, you know, Bitcoin can actually power everything and be the main crossing pair of everything else in the future, right? And I think this helps us to get there. Because now at this point, you can say, okay, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what you're doing at the end of the day. If you want kind of like the most secure chain, basically, as far as like, you know, power and ownership, things like that as well, too, you can at least plug directly, you know, into the system uh, here itself. I think another thing that I think is related to that is, you know, something a little more long term, mainly kind of like uh, with respect to like demand for block space, right? So, you know, I think we're in somewhat of like an anomalous state right now where, you know, fees are, fees are super low, right? Obviously for us, it, you know, it's great, like one side of bike gets the next chain, but it's kind of like, you know, should it really be here? And I think my, so my preface is that like, I think some of the activity that, like, you know, prior kind of like was really, uh, it's taking a lot of like the actual demand uh, inspired new blockchain is actually some of these other, you know, more trading uh, arbitrage related use cases basically, right? But now if we're able to kind of like, you know, bring a lot of those back to Bitcoin itself, I think that's great for the miners, it's great for the users as well, because that strengthens the, the network from Bitcoin itself to make sure it's always that initial, you know, main crossing pair, right? I think it also really shines when you look at something like the integration of something like Lightning itself, right? So all of a sudden, you know, you have like Lightning, kind of like the main Bitcoin backbone itself. But now we also say, okay, well, I can plug in any other thing, you know, on the sides. Lightning doesn't, doesn't, need, doesn't need to know about it. My node doesn't need to know about it itself. But now that's going to actually generate additional, you know, transactional activity and demand on the network itself. Because now you can say, okay, more routing activity, more routing revenue, more supply, uh, more demand to actually, you know, get into the network itself too. So I guess a really interesting thing as far as like, you know, letting Lightning also be this kind of like, you know, uh, like, asset or you can say currency backbone layer for the world as well too right mm -hmm. so and i think it's an interesting thing because it's done in a way where everything is very firewalled from the edges basically you know i don't really need to know about it as me as like a normal bitcoin over the center itself if they're there that's cool but at the same time less people kind of like have the option basically plug and play right and if you combine this with something like uh you know, some of the stuff that Mahler's uh, announced at, uh, you know bitcoin 22 as far as like you know, more point of sale things like that that's really interesting all of a sudden now i could in theory send bitcoin you know on my normal wallet basically and the merchant receives usd whatever else they receive 
Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a pretty cool thing. Now, all of a sudden, like, OK, we have that more agnostic layer. So now we can just plug whatever we want into this thing itself. And because lighting is fully decentralized, I think that'd be like a really uh, you know, compelling thing for the world. And maybe I think it also helps to kind of like, you know, accelerate the transition over to just Bitcoin generally. Right. Because now we've made the off ramp a little bit smoother. You know, you, know, you just maybe seem to worry about, you know, changing whatever else at the, at the, at the other end. But now it's a thing where it's, OK, well, you know, I received it. I have it. I can, you know, I can close the channel. I can move it or whatever else. Now, at this point, I can just say, OK, well, let me just start holding more Bitcoin. Right. And I just continue to do that over time, basically. And now you're fully converted. So I think it's kind of like another tool as far as like, you know, looking at the global view of how we ease adoption, basically, and also get in some of these, um, you know, countries that are, are needing it, but maybe can't just go and flip the switch, you know, similar to something like, like a sovereign or maybe they need kind of like a little bit more of a, um, you know, like a, a gradual. So that's kind of like how I view like the world ecosystem as well. Yeah, need some uh, some stepping stones to get over to the Bitcoin standard. Exactly. And... Yeah, like some people can go zero to one hundred, but like you know they're already somewhat predisposed. Uh, but you know, otherwise it may take someone else a little bit longer. <laughs> well, you mentioned the uh, the utility that Lightning provides this type of um, this type of overlay network, and so mm-hmm. how does it get to Lightning? Right. So you you create mm-hmm. these assets in mm-hmm. a Merkle tree embedded in a Taproot transaction. So I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I believe if I understand correctly, you just yeah, yeah. take that UTXO, you open a Lightning channel, and then because it's embedded in that transaction, yep. the Lightning network can recognize that you have this data and can transfer exactly. that asset, right? Yeah, exactly, right? And so I think that's the other thing is that like, you know, it's just, it's very Bitcoin-like, right? You make a transaction, basically. And one of the things that, we you know, we ended up, like, you know, uh, kind of like solving is like, okay, well, you know, typically you need kind of like a unique asset ID, right? Uh, and if you look at other chains, they kind of like use this, like, you know, global contract hash value as a proxy for that, basically. But because Bitcoin doesn't know it, we can't necessarily say, okay, well, you know, this is ID 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, right? So what we do instead, basically use the uh, the inputs to generate kind of like randomness, basically use that to drive an asset ID, right? And because, you know, inputs never repeat, that's double spending. That's basically the whole thing about Bitcoin. Basically, we can kind of like rely on Bitcoin to handle that double spending protection, basically also give us that uniqueness of the transaction ID in order to create the assets. But yeah, so you're right. It's like, so like, if I wanted to make an asset, I make a special transaction where I have this commitment, you know, in my taproot tree itself, you know, have there's some rules as far as like how you generate the um, the ID, exactly where you place the commitment, things like that. But at that point, you say, boom, I have that asset itself, right? Uh, and then me funding is basically similar to the current process right now, where basically I'd open a channel along with someone. And like, you know, rather than me just having that single balance, I also have these other balances, right? But these balances are kind of like expressed within the main, um, you know, taproot tree itself, right? So, so our multi-sig, let's say we both had B-Bucks reverse, you know, I had five, you had five, it would commit to 10 basically, right? And just similar to Bitcoin, we basically pre-sign that, that commercial stack basically let me exit at any given time to make sure that I'm delivering your five, my five, and you send that off as well too. So, you know, it looks very uh, Bitcoin Lightning-like itself. The main difference there is that now that kind of like extra balance and also the way these HTLCs are constructed, right? Uh, and, you know, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, it's kind of like set up the way where you can actually like actually have what we call like assets at the edges basically, right? So rather than actually, you know, modifying the entire core of the network. So in the past, I think some people looked at like, you know, doing things like advertising features in the core of the network, having like a special, you know, routing bits say, okay, well, I'm going to Litecoin or whatever else or something like that. This case, we're saying, okay, well, no, no, let's just like ignore all that, make it a lot simpler and just actually have it at the edges, right? Now, the way this works is that you basically need that corresponding input, uh, uh, sorry, inbound and outbound liquidity. So let's say you make me an invoice and has beat bucks, you course that basically. I can then send that along, you know, my first hop. It goes to the Bitcoin network. That's, you know, all, you know, pure BTC. Everyone's getting Satoshi fees, you know, all the way through the entire hop. Then finally, it exits off to you, you know, denominated in that particular value, right? So the cool thing about this is that, like, given that it doesn't really require, like, a large internal network change, and I wouldn't want to do that anyway because we should kind of like, keep the core of the network as simple as possible and focus on Bitcoin, uh, this lets us kind of, like, deploy a little more quickly, right? So let's say, theoretically, uh, you know, Kraken and then, um, you know, um, 
Breeze update or something like that, right? They can then use that to send amongst each other, you know, pretty quickly, uh, which is a really cool thing as far as like making sure like, you know, we can actually focus on distribution, get this thing out there uh, a little more quickly. Yeah, and so I get, you mentioned like Kraken and Breeze there. So I imagine like the, one of the biggest hurdles is just getting mm-hmm. wallets to recognize each individual asset as there. Mm-hmm. Like, is there, or is there a way uh, to make it easier on the wallet side? Um, yes. Yeah, super good question. Uh, yeah. So like, that's the thing where, you know, I think ultimately there will be like a handful of ones people really, really care about. Uh, and I think one other thing about the way we've kind of like constructed the initial architecture is like, you know, theoretically we could, you know, have an entirely new network for every single asset, right? Which basically costs basically actually like kind of like, you know, we can the network from scratch. We have like over $300 million on Bitcoin today on the Lightning Network. That took a while to get up. How long is it going to take someone else, right? So we're able to kind of like, you know, reuse all the Bitcoin liquidity. So now any increased demand for transactional, uh, you know, activity or, or capacity is going to correspond to like increased Bitcoin on the main network itself, right? So now that's kind of like the flywheel network effect uh, mm-hmm. we have going on there. Uh, but, you know, as far as like the way walls would, would handle it, it would kind of like be a thing where, you know, they would somewhat like select, uh, you know, which ones they really wanted to care about. Right. You, you could construct it where it's like an agnostic, uh, you know, type of thing. But similar to, um, you know, someone like hitting some API to like get their Bitcoin balance on the wall, they would need to kind of like know at least like what that asset actually is. So I'm sure like wallet authors are going to like, you know, be a little bit more, uh, you know, sparing because they want things to actually matter on there, basically. Right. And as long as the receiver has like that amount of liquidity. I can send that. For example, like, you know, let's say uh, someone had like USC somewhere else. I can actually just send Bitcoin all the way onto that last hop that gets converted, which is a really cool thing. Also the other way around, right? Uh, you know, I could like, you know, send, uh, you know, USCC or T or whatever else on my initial hop and then receive Bitcoin on the other end as well. Um, so, you know, so I think Wallace will basically like pick which ones. I think there'll be like a few ones people really care about. Maybe some like novelty things of people like, you know, trading Pokemon cards directly or something like that. And I think that's really cool because like, you know, I think that also just gives Wallet, uh, you know, providers and authors just more creative freedom, you can say, as far as exploring other business models or maybe looking at different ways to, like, you know, expand their wallet and, like, vertically integrate it as well. So I think that's good because I think generally, like, you know, more entrepreneurial, like, uh, energy in Bitcoin is just better, I think. You know, giving people more options to basically continue to, like, you know, make all these other companies, look at uh, different ways they can be, you know, organized given, like, the global nature as well. People maybe won't go to Silicon Valley and, you know, do that little thing. Maybe they have another option on the side. I think that's kind of like an interesting thing as far as like, you know, enabling like a larger uh, economy in terms of like companies on Bitcoin beyond kind of like the more fundamental stuff. We can say, you know, custody, multi-sig, whatever else, kind of like going that uh, other direction as far as what else is possible. Yeah. No, since this leverage is taproot, now I'm going down like a privacy thing. Is there a way you can privately <laughs> issue, like say you had like a group, mm-hmm. like a, a club, maybe like a Soho mm-hmm. house, but you want it to be like secret and only people mm-hmm. who had certain Taro assets for this associated with this club could access them, mm-hmm. um, could get access to the party or the building or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now I'm getting, now I'm yeah. getting really like bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That, that's totally possible. Like, because like you're saying it's kind of like a selective re- reveal thing, right? Uh, yes. And, but like could, since it's in the tavern, like you can't like see, uh, basically see a taproot transaction mm-hmm. on the chain and know that there's tarot ass- assets associated with it. You have to just dis- oh, totally. Yeah. 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 So I could give you like a random, you know, TX ID that's like pure taproot. And like, you know, if you don't have the extra information, you would you don't know what's really going on, which yes. is a cool thing. Right. So, yeah. so I think certain use cases, like for example, I think someone like issuing the stablecoin or else, like, uh, you know, there's an incentive because people want to basically like be able to like, you know, verify the total supply. Right. So similarly, because like we have this Merkle something, you know, I'll be able to like, 
find like an on-chain index basically and verify the integrity of that. So, okay, well, there's 2 billion USDT, you know, on the chain right now. And at all times I know that, right? I think it's really cool because if you look at like the way it's done on other chains, something like that, like, you know, uh, maybe sometimes there's like a Twitter box. So, okay, things were issued or else well, you'd be able to kind of like, you know, actually see events of that on-chain and obtain that data to basically make sure everything else, you know, adds up properly. So that's one of the things that we wanted to make sure it was kind of like at the forefront, you know, being able to audit the total supply of a particular thing and also just know when other issue, issue events are happening. But like, like you were saying, you know, if it's some like, you know, other like cost ticket or something like that, you don't necessarily need to get everyone else involved. It's kind of like the necessary parties, you know, revealing the proofs and verifying them as well. Uh, and so I guess another cool thing as far as, okay, well, you know, this doesn't necessarily need to be a public thing. Maybe I want like some other thing on the side, basically, that's between a, a smaller group of participants. Uh, this can be used for that as well. And you can ignore all of the, like, you know, uh, audibility, public proofs, blah, 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 because you don't really need to do that for uh, maybe some certain use cases. Yeah, that's fascinating how far it can go down this rabbit hole and what these things can be used for. If again, and that's like, even if you're a skeptic when it comes to these digital assets, I think from the Lightning Network perspective, the increase in liquidity that mm-hmm. this this could provide uh, the Lightning Network is like a massive win. Like whether, oh, whether you think these things should exist or not, um, you should be bullish on the fact that it's going to help Lightning Network. Liquidity. Exactly. Yeah, it's like if, I, if I'm like a major not Lightning Network operator, like worst case, okay, it doesn't really happen, whatever else, I'm still here. Best case, all of a sudden I, I text my volume, I, I make more revenue, I have like more realistic, uh, you know, routing activity, I'm making other decisions as far as like, you know, allocating my capital, that becomes like a bigger, you know, um, you know, opportunity for kind of like general like yield generation on Bitcoin generally as well. So I think the network effects work out pretty well where, you know, if things go well, uh, even if you're not directly uh, interfacing with it, like you'll benefit basically. Given that, like, you know, it's not dumping a bunch of data onto the chain itself, and like any transactions it's generating are just like normal transactions to miners anyway, and they're verifying that as it goes. But at the same time, like, certain with certain aspects of the way it's designed, for example, like, you know, let's say there was like a covenant uh, that kind of like had more accessibility, right? Or uh, or was able to at least kind of like you know govern what an output looks like, right? You know, because like the tarot tree actually impacts the taproot tree, which impacts the actual output key itself. I could feasibly make a covenant such that it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm actually enforcing certain transitions or uh, you know, structure or kind of like details on the tower layer in the Bitcoin layer without the Bitcoin layer necessarily knowing exactly what's happening there, right? So that's kind of another cool thing as far as like, you know, you being able to compose all these other tools. It's probably other things you can do with maybe something like like a DLC or something like that, kind of like representing a position and like being able to move that position around, uh, you know, things like that as well too. So I think there's definitely some interesting things as far as like composing w- what we already have, given everything is already so Bitcoin-like. So it's not like mm-hmm. I need to learn some entirely other system as far as like, okay, it's an account. Okay, we use like some weird 256 bit or something else. Okay, well, that's the output. This is the commitment. The commitment affects the output. Uh, therefore, I know what I can do on that point. I know how to interpret these fields. And things are also extensible. It uses this like format uh, that we uh, created for Lightning Layer. It's called um, you know TLB, kind of like a type of like value. So it's like a protocol thing where you can basically kind of like you know have you know future extensibility in the actual asset uh, you know itself as well too. Right. So that's another cool trait. For example, people can add other stuff in there. You know, I really I don't know exactly what they do. I have like you know some kind of like pet use case. But I think it's another thing as far as like you know if we want to evolve this in the future, uh, we we can do so. For example, some things that like you know popped up. I'm sure like in early design drafting is, for example, like right now the values are all public, uh, you know, in the um, you know in the commitment itself because I can use them something. Feasibly, you could do some other kind of like a you know, blinded integer type of palier, you know, CC type of thing itself. Another thing as well is that like right now we use SHA-256 for all the commitments basically, but you know there's certain like uh, hash functions that look more kind of like you can say like snark friendly, right? So right now like you know I'm showing you all the information basically, you're verifying and you're revealing it, but I can say basically just give you a proof that this output is well uh, is well formed, right? And if we use kind of like a, a snark friendly hash function, that makes it a lot more efficient as well, too. Right. So at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's all about revealing and verifying proofs. 
But you know, I don't necessarily need to explicitly give you all the information there. And there are ways to basically make it a lot more succinct. You know, uh, I think things are coming a long way now in the past few years. I, I think it's like the tooling and stuff like that isn't quite there, but potentially that could be a thing where I, like, you know, my entire proof to you is just zero knowledge proof basically uh, that goes back through the chain. Uh, and maybe maybe it's a little bit more expensive to generate, but maybe you know we're getting things like you know FPGA accelerated GPU accelerators things like that as well too that make you know maybe a ten or hundred x difference in the, the proof generation because depending on what you're using the size is still pretty good and even if the size is like a kilobyte or two uh, that's that's not that bad uh, in, in the grand scheme of things also because it's all off chain that never actually goes on chain where you just commit to uh, the proof itself. Nice. <laughs> this yeah, could be the base for something really. Yeah, it's, it's like one thing. I really don't think Bitcoiners appreciate, I don't know, shouldn't say Bitcoiners generally. A lot of people don't appreciate it. Is that we can't even fathom the, like the use cases and the a- applications that Bitcoin generally, and then something like Taro more specifically mm-hmm. could could uh, bring to fruition in the future. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's, to me, that's like the exciting part about like, you know, looking at the pieces a little bit differently and like finding that like one composition that, oh, that's like a really new thing, right? So I think that's something that uh, people just embrace a little bit more because I feel like at times we're talking about particular changes, like, you know, we get caught up in a particular behavior or application or whatever else. It's kind of like a thing where it's like, you know, like inevitably it's going to enable things we don't necessarily fully know, right? If you look at something like, you know, what we figured out as far as like opcat checks from Cypher, that was existing for a while. People were like, oh, we can restrict, we can track this thing, this and thing, right? So to me, it's like somewhere inevitable, also kind of like the exciting part, right? And that's kind of like where you can say like the free energy or like, you know, uh, protocol entrepreneur or kind of like uh, ingenuity can come in. It's like, okay, well, someone looking at the pieces, slightly different, you know, angle basically and saying, well, this is really possible. For example, like, you know, we've seen this with things like, you know, lightning, uh, general state chain stuff, DLC stuff, whatever else. So to me, like, uh, you know, I'm very bullish in just future ingenuity, and I don't necessarily know everything is going to come. Some of you ask me, like, oh, exactly, what's this particular thing going to be useful? I'm like, it seems kind of useful, and it's kind of bounded. So uh, I think the future, my future self is going to think of something, but I don't necessarily want to, like, restrict just because I can't think of something now, because otherwise I feel like, you know, uh, I'm not necessarily, like, you know, I can't see into the future, right? Like, maybe I have, like, instincts, something like that, but I don't necessarily know what's possible. I think, you know, things like to hopefully show people exactly, like, you know, what's exactly possible. I think an interesting thing, too, is, like, you know, even just, like, launching this thing, like, you know, for example, we launched it uh, right before we 22. I had developers come up to me, like, yo, I'm working on Solana. I'm working on these other chains. I want to come back now. Just because, like, that shit doesn't work. You know, it's down for 24 hours, mm-hmm. basically. Bitcoin, you know, is always up. If I could do that little thing I need to do, okay, cool. For me, it's like, okay, you know, I don't necessarily know what it is, but they're going to pay chain fees at the end of the day, you know, and maybe generate some, like, you know, lightning uh, riding revenue. So, uh, cool. Like, so if we can bring it back, uh, and I think that, that was always kind of like, you can say a, um, you know, kind of like the proverb, right? If it gets hot somewhere else, we'll bring it to Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or you can, or I think it was more so like it will be brought to Bitcoin. I think that was kind of like missing. You can take some agency. Okay, well, who, right? Okay, the things were there basically. I think it's like, okay, well, you know, individuals that are motivated can package up the goodness basically, re- remove a lot of the cruft, you know, make it, uh, you know, nice and Bitcoin like and bring it over. I think that's always like, you know, something that people somewhat take for granted that it will be done, but we need that agency basically. So, okay, well, we're going to continue to improve the system basically. It doesn't get really, really hot elsewhere. If you want more block based or something else, we can bring it back over to, you know, the main chain where it all started. Yeah, and you're a man with a lot of agency. You've taken the bull by the <laughs> horns and built a lot of really cool shit. So thank you for yeah, that. Yeah. Um, no, definitely, always fun. What What would you describe as? I don't think of how to frame this. But like, I don't know if there's like trade offs with Tara, but like, so obviously mm-hmm. these assets are being issued and mm-hmm, they have a mm-hmm. price attached, and there's going to be some oracle risk there. Mm-hmm. Um, if the if there's like large custodians issuing these assets and, mm-hmm. and therefore they 
acquire uh, a lion's share of the liquidity on the Lightning Network? What does that mean mm-hmm. for the distribution uh, and censorship resistance at the Lightning layer? Um, how does how does that affect the build out of Lightning overall? How would you uh, yeah, describe yeah. these I things? Guess, yeah, really good question. I guess I answer that initial thing first. Is that like um. You know, I think because uh, everything is like fully at the edges, like things are somewhat firewalled, right? For example, let's say someone, you know, issued some crazy like credit token or something like that, right? You know, because it's actually just at the, at the final hop, there's no like default risk that the core network is actually subject to, right? Let's say we actually had that in the internal network basically and like that thing, we thought it was a million dollars, now it's zero. All of a sudden someone accepted that and, you know, that kind of propagates like a lot of like, you know, weird risk, right? So I think because it's actually like, you know, I say things basically be fully at the edges and that's a lot of things like, you know, like a hot pin or a blind route you know, type of uh, contract, basically, things are a little bit more, I would say, like, far away, not to say there's no, you know, other thing going on that, you know, maybe we haven't thought about, at least, like, that lets me see a little better at night, and that, okay, well, someone doesn't want to know about it, they don't really know about it, and also, it's actually, you know, fully you know, at the edges, you know, of the system as well. But, you know, as far as you can say, like, other trade-offs, um, you know, the system makes, um, uh, you know, there's certain trade-offs around kind of, like, um, you know, like, moving assets around, for example, like, uh, you know, because we require kind of like the, the, the commitment or that asset ID to be like concrete, like the output itself, you know, you can't necessarily do things like issue an asset and then transfer it in the very same transaction, right? Because you need to reference that output, but the output isn't finalized until it's actually into the chain itself, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to do things like, okay, well, I'm going to issue it. Maybe I can burn something, but at the same time, then I'll do another transaction. So we have that like very stable identifier, right? And I think one of the, the other trade-offs makes like, you know, because it relies on Bitcoin a lot for, um, you know, double spend pre- prevention and kind of like, you know, non-reliability of these outputs. There's certain cases where if you don't do something properly, the, the asset just may be burned, right? Uh, and that's because, like, okay, well, you didn't follow the rules, so therefore, you know, everyone that's validating things assumes it's, like, not valid. For example, like, you know, one case would be, let's say I have, like, you know, 10 beat bucks and then I make 15, right? That's invalid. And I just also just forfeited those 15 just because I spent the outpoint where it was being committed to, and I can't recreate the outpoint because I can't, you know, undo Bitcoin itself. So that's another mm-hmm. traffic makes. It's kind of like a thing, you know, around finality. I think there are ways to get around that, but, like, Maybe they'll just introduce a lot more complexity into the system, which is something that we're trying to make make a little bit simpler. Uh, and then maybe it's okay, uh, you know, for now in the future. Uh, and that, I'd say the other, you know, larger trade-off it makes as well is, um, you know, related to basically like the, the proof size, right? So, uh, you know, as I mentioned, like things like, um, you know, uh, master kernel camera or whatever else, in the past, you basically had to like, you basically had to embed every single thing you wanted to uh, verify the transaction into the chain itself, right? Uh, and that was, you know, pretty, uh, you know, very unscalable and also like, you know, uh, difficult to work with my clients. In the case for Tower or something like that, you know, my asset itself like proves own, proves the provenance to you itself, right? Which necessarily means that you know you you may need to go back and verify like that initial chain or linkage, right? So you can say in the best case it's kind of like a you know a linear thing, uh, but you know in the worst case it can be you know it can be uh, larger than that as well too, right? So in the future we have some ideas around kind of like doing things like compressing uh, the proofs, kind of like you know like burning and then reissuing an asset, basically lets you kind of like have like a, like a, a clean slate, and then also the, the zero knowledge proofs uh, aspect as well can eventually help to compress that. Compress that down a little bit more. I think the other big thing is that, like, um, you know, because you have that lightning layer, anytime you, you open the channel, you move it onto lightning itself, you're not really expanding the number of hops it took, right? That helps you compress things down. I think another cool thing, uh, it composes, for example, things like, um, you know, state chains, some of Mercury Water is doing as well, too. That could feasibly be used to also let people trade these things amongst themselves, but keeping that same, you know, output there with those, you know, varying, uh, you know, trade offs as well, too. What are your thoughts on these Chalmy immense that are coming, like Fediment? Mini Mint, have you looked into that at all? Because that that's actually throughout this conversation, mm-hmm. that's where my mind's been going. Like, could you do like Taro assets in these in these yeah. Chalmy Mints? And like, because I yeah. I think they can enable the the free banking system mm-hmm. that Hal Finney envisioned at the end of 2010 in his in his Bitcoin Talk.org post. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely uh, definitely interesting. And like, 
you know, I remember I was talking with Obi, uh, who I think gave a talk at Bitcoin 22 about kind of like, you know, his, you know, view is kind of like looking, okay, well, you know, maybe if you're in Africa, you know, not every individual is necessarily going to be able to do the full self-custody thing, but they at least trust there's some local leaders or something like that, or some people, you know, uh, you know, the community, those are involved, and they can help do that. I think this is definitely like, for example, you know, they could issue stuff on top of that, uh, on top of Tower and basically then use those within that local thing. It could be something as well where like, they issue some local currency and people can use that outside but what they want to come within kind of like this closed system. It's super beneficial. I think also generally if, if we see kind of like, you know, more cases of things like Bitcoin Beach pop up, things like that as well too. Well, okay, if they're already kind of like doing some shared custody thing, might as well add some of the privacy you know, benefits uh, into that as well too. I think it's a really cool thing just because like, you know, this can let you compose a bunch of other things together. For example, like one limitation uh, with the system is that like, you know, you can route like regular assets, but you can't necessarily route like collectibles, right? And collectibles like a baseball card or charter cards something like that, right? But in theory, if I use something like a state change type contract, basically, I could move ownership of that off chain itself, right? Which is a really cool thing because obviously now I can combine other different versions as well too. I think that's the other interesting thing of like, you know, once you have more of these like protocol pieces, like, you know, you can say something like Lightning, State Chains, DLC, you know, Covenants, wherever else, like the amount of things you can con construct is really, really starts to blow up basically. I think we'll be impressed, you know, assuming things, you know, go as like, you know, in my ideal case, like the next five years, I think, you know, there'll be some really uh, impressive stuff we can do on Bitcoin, which, you know, is the main thing is basically non-custodial relationship itself, you know, more decentralization, but also like letting individuals make the protocols they want to without necessarily compromising, right? And compromising to me is like, you know, uh, custodian or kind of like a weird multi-sig thing or something like that. If we can kind of like, you know, encode uh, more direct, um, you know, kind of like constraints relationship into the Bitcoin itself, that's very good. But obviously there's some trade-offs as far as like complexity, things like that. But I think, you know, we've been thinking about this stuff for long enough. And I think my current model, like just the UTXO model generally, just because it's, uh, in the end, it's like, you know, it's just a state machine on chain at the end of the day. That really balances a lot, a lot of like kind of like the scariness or kind of like some of the unexpected activities like elsewhere because like, you know, you know, anytime I'm spending something, I know exactly what's happening. You know, I, you know, I basically have my entire world there. I'm not worried about every single possible other, you know, contract that can interact and like the ordering guarantees, blah, blah, blah. So I think we have like a very solid base on Bitcoin that somewhat, you know, under recognized as far as like some more advanced use cases to make it a lot easier to just maintain and understand uh, and just use generally. So, mm -hmm. And what are some of the, the things that help is like something like Musig, um, like well, how, the UX of issuing this asset. Isn't is it Musig too, or Musig that's involved? Uh, or yeah, Musig. Uh, well, yes. Yeah. So like you know, in theory, you could combine you know Musig two and things like that to like you know uh, have like different custody profiles of the assets themselves, right? So for example, like you know, there's like a particular key. So like you know, let's say there's an asset that maybe you want to issue multiple times, right? It's like a trend. Maybe it's like you know a company issuing more equity or something like that, right? There's a special key that needs to sign the future. Uh, you know, issue incidents, basically just link that to the same chain, that key can be used, that can, that can be a Music 2 key, right? So that can be like a three of three or an or something like that as well uh, in order to, you know, give you a little more flexibility there. And also like, you know, goes all the way down to like the lowest layer as well too. You know, if I wanted to require, you know, like, uh, you know, different signatures or something like that or more flexibility, for example, in the Lightning case, we do a thing where we basically like we um, embed the HCLC at the tower layer as well too, right? So you also need mm. to basically show me that primitive things like that to basically make sure that like if the asset is on chain, you're not just trying to move it before things are actually valid or something like that, right? So, you know, it's a thing where definitely some other trade-offs are being made there. I think we still need to think more about like, you know, exactly uh, other areas that make sense. But to me, once again, it's like, okay, well, I already thought of this one particular thing. I think there's other cases that will, will be a lot more interesting as far as like, you know, doing more interesting things, you know, on that, uh, you know, tarly with some of the caveats as far as like, you know, burning uh, on the upper layer if, you're, if you don't necessarily follow everything to a T. Yeah. There's so many moving parts. And so you mentioned that Bitcoin 2022, you had people working on other chains coming up to you and saying, all right, mm -hmm. I'm, I want to build this on Bitcoin. It's got uptime security. And now exactly. it seems the, the usability and fun or ability to, to do what I'm trying to do. Do you think 
this can be a a driver to get developer talent working on the Bitcoin stacks? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think so, right? Because I think, you know, there are some of these other people, like, you know, maybe they have a use case you don't necessarily care about, but like, they at least wanted to use Bitcoin in the beginning. And then because other, they didn't understand it or they didn't really see these solutions out there, they went elsewhere, right? And it's kind of a thing where it's like, we're talking like, some of them, they don't really want to be elsewhere. You know, like they, like even if they, like, maybe they'll put lightning in it somehow and like, you know, cross the river, but like if they can come back, I think it's a great thing because I think that just brings more developer attention. Also kind of like, you know, broadens like you take the application layer of Bitcoin itself, right? So I think that, you know, I think uh, there's some developers that are very good at, you know, things like, you know, Bitcoin D level stuff, kernel level stuff, or kind of like, you know, some of the more security aspects, maybe they don't necessarily know what like a protocol application that layer would necessarily look like, right? I think more of those kind of like thinking and voices, for example, you know, people have done a lot of work on that or like uh, Shashek, uh, you know what I'm saying, right? And also like, you know, Jeremy, as far as the tooling, things like that. So I think over time, as we get more of those developers on board, like the tooling will get more advanced as well too. Let's say we have things like Miniscript or else, whenever you're kind of like you know, designing a more kind of like elaborate protocol, it needs to be more so on kind of like, kind of like the transaction level basically, right? And okay, well, you know, these are all the possibilities. If I go here, you can go there, things like that as well too. I think we still need better tooling on that and things like Sapio, you know, are like, you know, probably some of the best things that we have uh, in that domain. But I think that's a very promising thing of basically like, you know, bringing back those developers, basically strengthening that Bitcoin, uh, you know, network effect itself. And also like, you know, getting that knowledge distributed a lot more broadly uh, to, so that in the future, people can just say, okay, well, let me just go straight over here versus taking this very roundabout road. And all of a sudden I have this token that I don't fucking want and now I got to bring it back things like that. So we can, you know, we can have to shortcut them now. And I think that was also just generally like just pretty good validation to the people coming elsewhere. It's like, yo, like I can do this now. Like, let me just come back. I don't want to learn this new random language or something, right? Like, I just want to, I just want to do my thing, basically not worry about like the uh, platform risk or kind of like any other shakiness, you know, at that lower level. Yeah. It's... <laughs> Again, I go back. So I go back and forth. I, I, I'm one of those. I'm like, eh, I don't really care for any of those things, but I do recognize like mm-hmm. people do. It's like, okay, why not mm-hmm. build it here? But it does yeah. help liquidity. Um, yeah. it's, uh, I, think it's really, I think it's a really reasonable take too, where it's like, you know, I, I don't necessarily know what they're doing is like the actual right thing, but I kind of like, you know, respect their freedom to experiment basically. And that's always kind of like the whole permission invasion thing about Bitcoin. Okay, well, they can do a thing as long as it doesn't infringe on my, you know, UTXOs or like supply or whatever else, you know, they can do it. You know, and if there are some cases where like, you know, it's just very, uh, has some weird negative incentives, I think, you know, people will kind of like go out and like, you know, address those things. But uh, to me, it's just kind of a thing of like, you know, just growing the pie, basically making Bitcoin, you know, more, uh, you know, prominently available and just kind of like on the mind of individuals to correct their kind of like the FUD of like, the Bitcoin, the, you know, the TI-83 calculator or whatever, like, you know, like, no, no, it really isn't. Like, you can do a lot of stuff. Uh, you just need to, like, you know, look at it in, like, in the proper way. And it also, like, you know, prioritizes just security generally. So I think it's kind of a thing where if you look at some of these other ecosystems, like, people are very desensitized to, like, hacks, right? They call it rug pulls, right? It's like, no, 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 no bro, bro, you lost your money. You know what I mean? Like, you lost your fucking money. Like, it's not a rug pull, right? So it's, it's just desensitized. Like, you know, people don't blink at these crazy hacks. Remember back in the day, you know, Bitcoin exchange got hacked for 10 million. It's like, oh my God, Bitcoin's insecure, it's done, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Now we get 600 million and they're like, oh, our buyers are going to bail it out. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, SBF's going to step st- step in and, and bail us yeah, exactly. all out Exactly. Let me just get this, you know, 2 billion out of nowhere. Where did it come from? Don't worry about it. Like, we're just going to put it back in the system. <laughs> yeah, there's this weird masochistic uh, <laughs> enjoyment of the rug pull on, on Twitter, at least, for a lot of people. Yeah. It's, uh, it's weird. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I don't want to be in that position. And hopefully, you know, nothing we make ever puts people in that position as well. And that's always like a, a big thing as far as, you know, understanding it, making sure self custody is a big part of making not custody whenever possible. Mm-hmm. Also, just like educating people generally, too. Yeah. And more generally, zooming in on, there's a thing that things 
that you've built that I'm excited about. Like uh, the, the assets is cool. Like I want more liquidity on the Lightning Network. It feels like Lightning Network has hit an inflection point. What I'm really excited uh, to see, like on the back end of what could be a potential inflection point, it seems like just from a, a liquidity uh, um, mind share and a, a branding perspective, Lightning Network is here. It seems like it's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's only going to get stronger from here. But stuff like LNURL auth and LSATs, like once that people start building on those Definitely. protocols and injecting yeah. the Lightning Network into the internet stack, that's, exactly. what, that's what really gets me excited. Oh, no, totally, totally. And that's always been the thing where it's like, you know, I got this like master plan in the background. Some of them need the components, but I feel like now like many of those components there as far as like, you know, making, you know, Lightning Bitcoin like a more integral part of the web and just the browser experience, we're so close, right? Uh, you know, and I think this is like, you know, this is what people should be calling Web3, though that's a, it's a horrible name. What does that mean at all? It's like, you know, call it new, new internet, call it, you know, like what, like the web, Bitcoin native internet or something like that. I think it's really cool. For example, like, you know, so LSAT, uh, people that don't know, is something based on something called HTTP 402, right? So the idea is, okay, well, you know, back in the day, there's kind of like this, this uh, error code and, you know, error codes are kind of like, okay, you go to a website, it's not there, 404, 200 means everything's okay. You know, 300 redirecting to that. Well, two, this says, oh, payment required, right? And it's always been a peak thing. It's like, okay, well, no one really uses, they're kind of like some like, you know, um, very, uh, uh, you know, just organizational, like, you know, kind of like uh, working groups created around it that nothing really happened, right? So what this does, it was like, it was, okay, well, you know, we'll use a thing called a macaroon, basically, which is kind of like this API token in a sense. The API token kind of like has certain like structured capabilities that can maybe expire after a day, whatever else, and it's by as it's given, given party. What we'll do, we'll basically embed an invoice, you know, in the header response of 402, basically. You pay that invoice. Uh, you know, once you pay the invoice, uh, you know, you get the pre-image from the invoice, and you can basically combine this this LSAT and the macaroon, and basically the pre-image, and have this full authentication over that's a really cool thing, right? Because all of a sudden now I can basically like, you know, do a button click and then I, the browser or the extension of JS, whatever, I have to have it, have it automatically. So this can let you do things like, you know, paper go APIs. I can do like login. I can do like the upvote for payment. I can, you know, get rid of all these spam bots on Twitter. Also oh like the spam bots got worse. What happened? Like, I don't I'm, like know. every single thing I look at, there's 20 of these things. And the other thing is, well, I've never been impersonated. So maybe, is that good or bad? I don't know. Am I not big enough yet <laughs> to like, uh, to get my own spam bot? Like, well, it's cool. But, you know, this would let you kind of like, you know, destroy things like that <laughs> the spam it's something happened in the last three months specifically yeah. where it's, it's, someone shut something off someone someone turned something on i don't know but it's it's, it's a different it's a different place <laughs> well like let's explain how like because the idea of again lsat like the one killer use case is just like pay per api call like yeah. over the lightning yeah. network like that blows mm -hmm. my mind thinking about like how Definitely. how it, it will affect and make markets extremely efficient because you're paying for exactly what you're getting, right? Exactly. And nothing else or nothing less. Yeah, and then you get really cool combinations. For example, like I, I, someone was running it before, but basically it was kind of like they were, um, you know, doing LSAT stuff to basically let you pay per minute for like BPS access, basically. Like they were kind of like virtualized to give you a little thing, SHH, whatever else. That's really cool. For example, like, you know, let's say I just want to like do some like basic analysis. Boom. Do I want to like do the AWS subscription? Do I want to like, you know, look at their billing model or whatever else? I can just like get in and out very, very quickly. And these are also cool for kind of like other companies looking at like different um, you know, pricing models. Typically, there's kind of like the, like the uh, premium. Okay, it's free, then you need to pay. There's not kind of like subscription. So that kind of like gray area was, okay, let me just do like what I need to do, uh, you know, particularly at that point too. That's maybe also more resource efficient for them because they know, you know, they can kind of like, you know, resell that particular resource, you know, somewhere else. So I think that's definitely, you know, a big enabling thing. You know, one thing, people ask me at times, okay, like, you know, why hasn't it fully caught on? What's really, what's really going on? But I think, uh, I think one missing component in the past was kind of like two things. One is basically the proper client-side interface, right? So, you know, we use LSAT today in a lot of our services. You kind of like, you know, pay a small amount of Satoshi and you basically get an API key, you use it for that. We do a bunch of other things alongside of it as well too. But like, there wasn't a very easy way of like, you know, 
allowing a developer to basically like hook into that API itself, right? So there were things in the past like WebLand or also something called now Albi, which I'm you know a big fan of, which is basically kind of like working to like you know make that uh, interface a lot more streamlined, basically, right? And then it's going to be a really cool thing because now this is like what you need as far as like you know, being able to like you know click reply. And then it sends one SAP to Twitter or whatever, also two SAP, right? Because otherwise it's kind of like, okay, here's the QR code. Let me scan it. Okay, what's going on? I'm waiting, whatever else. Like once you like push that a lot more to the background, there's going to be a new wave of people on the internet that say, okay, well, this is how it just works. How could it work anywhere else, right? Like what was it like when you had to like, you know, input a credit card and get this, you know, piece of thing out of your pocket? And then like, where is it? Who's storing the credit card information? Is it them? Are they going to get hacked? Is it on the browser? A lot of, you know, weird things around that. Right? So I think that's definitely coming and it's something that I'm super excited about. I think the other component that's missing is kind of like um, you know, additional tools on the web development side, right? Uh, you know, actually, you know, Buck made a bunch of really cool things, you know, in this area as far as like, you know, being able to like, you know, have like a decent web framework and kind of like make that outside of the way. Right. So I don't know if people know something like, you know, uh, Flask, which is like very popular um, you know, Python framework. If I can do something like add like an annotation that says, OK, LSAT amount equals 10 sat or something like that. Boom. Right. And then I know, you know, the web server basically handles you know, all the negotiation reversals. When it comes to my side, everything is good at that point, too. Right. So I think we have that first component now. Second component is coming up. And I think the big thing that's going to really support the first component, which is also is something we work on in the background and hopefully soon restart a little more now, is also like, you know, actually getting, uh, you know, Neutrino basically into the browser. Right. So this is a really cool thing because if you look at something like uh, the MetaMask or kind of like you know gives you a similar UX experience, it's basically hitting one centralized API. Right, that thing goes down all the time. People are like, what's going on? They're getting a lot of data. It's probably a honeypot. Like you know, you know, who knows mm-hmm. what's going to you know, happen with all that stuff? They know everyone's balanced. They know what you're doing. They can find your transaction. They can do a bunch of other stuff. In this case, we're saying no, 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 let's not do that. Let's actually just like move everything directly into the browser itself. So I would have like LND and Neutrino in the browser. You know, one cool thing about Neutrino is that because the protocol is actually fully stateless, uh, I can I can fetch block headers, filters, and blocks from like a CDN or something. Like that. Right, that's going to be very, very fast. And also, I can verify everything that's going on there, so I, I can't. I don't need to worry about um, you know additional issues there. One other thing that's happening in Lightning Protocol right now is like people are adding a um, a way to basically advertise like a WebSockets address, right? So then at that point, I can basically you know use Bitcoin, use the get the Bitcoin Protocol via HTTP, and then talk WebSockets about Lightning nodes as well too. All of a sudden, I basically have the exact same user experience. Developers are going to love it, but at the same time, everything is still fully uh, you know non-custodial basically. And also, I'm relying, I'm not relying on anyone else to basically gather all this data and just like tell me what things are uh, active or not because of the way the protocol is now. So I think at that point, it's going to be okay. Someone's going to basically download an extension, then get get onboard into Lightning itself, and then you know we'll have things like, for example, you know, getting a like zero comp channel or something like pool, or else basically have that bootstrapping be you know as tight as possible. So it could be a thing where it's okay, like you know, download this thing within a minute or two, every time I see it, all of a sudden I'm on, I'm on the internet. Obviously, you don't want to put you know 100 BTC in this thing. It should be like a, you know a smaller amount. It's like another wallet, you know, kind of like a, a spare change. I think at that point, you know, distribution, in my opinion, will kind of like be solved. As far as like how do you actually make sure you know people have to interact with this stuff? So at that point, it's more on, on the uh, hands of kind of like application developers, also businesses as well, take advantage of that thing, right? One cool thing I saw, I think it was maybe last year, people kind of like integrated Ghost, or so they integrated uh, Lightning into something in Ghost, which is kind of like another way to do um, a Substack, because like open source thing. Yes, when I saw, I was like, okay, this is dope. This yeah. has been like on my list. People are looking at it. There's that demand there as well too. Once we fix the client side tooling and the server side as well too, like what? there would be like everything else is going to look dumb as an alternative, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, so I'm just gonna. I'm not being rude here because this is what we implemented in Ghost, and um, I'm gonna send this tweet to Car. But like, we can show an example on the video here of like how much better this user experience could be because right now we've essentially just integrated. BTC Pay server into Ghost mm-hmm. and have enabled these uh, these ten cent paywalls. Um, so you pay yeah. a dime worth of sats, and you mm-hmm. and you get the article. But like, I mean, it's not nothing novel. I mean, Yalls was doing this, but we just yeah, did it. Yeah. We just did it on yeah, Ghost exactly. specifically. Yeah, 
And I think the, the thing there is just kind of like, you know, the packaging and the distribution, right? Where it's like, you know, without something like this, you know, how do they get up on the server side? Who's doing it for them also like in the client side? Or they, you know, do they know what a lightning invoice is? Are they scanning it manually? But this case, it's kind of like a click and go, uh, which I think is a, a super dope thing. And I think this is a big thing too, where it's like, you know, one of the main problems in lightning that we've been working with Capital and we're getting really close to there at that point now too, is where like, you know, no one wants to like pay $80 for that Wall Street Journal article and do the subscription. It's like, bro, the article is probably not even going to be good. You know, why am I going to commit up front to this? You know what I mean? Like, right, like it's going to be some like clickbait or something. Let me just like do a little bit. Let me check it out. Like even something like that. Let me let me pay five cents and like give me give me two paragraphs. I'm gonna judge from there, you know, and I'm gonna go right now, right? Uh, and you know, definitely one thing I think people brought up in the past with regard to this are kind of like you know Nick Sable's old post, you know, around kind of like you know cost like micropayments basically. Okay, what's not technology or whatever else? I think what those people will get wrong now is that, okay. We're a lot better just generally like, you know, UI crafting and software development, also human computer interaction than we were back then as well too, right? So if you have kind of like an agent that you express the preferences to, this is even covered in the thing itself, then that can actually do all, all the actions on my behalf. So let me say, okay, let me do, you know, a budget of, you know, a dollar a day, basically, do actions up until that, basically. And if I hit that point, then I'll reassess. So it's not, you know, continuously a yes or no type of thing every single time. So you, you can have like budgets, things like that. That's also something that like uh, this thing we made called LNC helps you do. Uh, so, you know, in the past, like one other, uh, I think, necessary component as far as like getting this kind of like in a web experience, uh, you know, down is like, you know, today it's very difficult to like securely pair a website to a full, to like a lightning node, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, maybe like, do I build a TLS or do I get a macaroon? Is my port even open or else? What this does, it basically gives you kind of like a very easy way to like have like a pairing phrase, basically. And I put the pairing phrase, you know, into the website itself, uh, you know, that I get from my node. Then at that point, I basically have a secure end-to-end, -end, you know, encrypted connection, right? So from the browser to my node is fully encrypted. And we're using, you know, regular uh, GRPT things or whatever else. And then this is really cool because all of a sudden now a website can say, oh, connect lightning. Boom. You click that. You put in this like in a very like small pairing phrase. All of a sudden you're hooked up. Which I think that's going to be like a very major thing as well too. Because all of a sudden now like, you know, people can develop websites with the JS APIs of lightning in mind. Right, and not worry about, oh, am I connecting to all these different nodes or whatever else? If we can standardize that, that, that interface, basically, as far as RPC capabilities, that's going to be a massive thing. Because now all of a sudden, you know, all the web developers that before were kind of like unsure what to do, basically, they had like all the, you know, the um, energy and kind of creativity there. This is basically their gateway now to enable those experiences in a very similar, seamless manner. Yeah. I mean, you see how quickly Stripe took over the world with their like payments API. Imagine. Exactly. Yeah. Imagine what people just want that. that easy call, basically, right? And like, you mm -hmm. know, they they obviously wanted to get to the market super, super quickly. So it's kind of like, you know, their API, but you know, it can just, it can, you can have that standardized API, then have like different implementations of it. One can be LD, one can be an Eclair, one can be Strike, or whatever else. So once we kind of like, you know, get that uh, initial interface, right? I think that that's the point where it's like, okay, you know, people that were even on the side, not necessarily, you know, Bitcoin or Lightning enthusiasts, just because it lets them do that cool thing on the internet without worrying about a credit card, a subscription, or whatever else, they will come. Uh, and that'd become like a new, uh, you know, um, you know, web user as well, which is really exciting. Yeah. And it's also one of my, this particularly is one of my favorite use cases to rebut the, the idea that Bitcoin just for money, money launders and exactly. gamblers. It's like, no, this, yeah, this yeah. is a utility does not exist in, no, yeah. in the other system. Like this is exactly. not possible without Bitcoin lending network. Exactly, and like the podcasting stuff, general streaming, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we're like, we've seen a few more pieces, you know, probably into place. But I think by like in the next year or so, uh, it's going to be really dope. Just because like Wallace is getting a lot better now. Pathfinding is getting a lot better. You you is getting a lot better. And now we have like additional tools for developers. Then we have other things like Taro as well. Like you let them kind of like, you know, have additional, you know, uh, creativity in application space. Um, so, you know, things are coming, definitely come together, at least on this, uh, you know, higher layer. Yeah. Um, so we're excited about things uh, from here. And it's just, it's crazy how 
it's happening globally too. Like at 1031, we obviously see a lot of the companies that are building in the space around the world. And that's mm-hmm. one thing um, that I've seen more recently is these, these companies building on the Lightning Network protocol all around the world and providing utility in areas of the world that desperately need it. Um, Southeast exactly. Asia, Africa, yeah. Latin, it's... Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we're definitely seeing that as well. Just, you know, as far as like people wanting some advice or kind of like, you know, looking for advice kind of raise where it's like, you know, it's definitely becoming a lot more international thing. South America, Guatemala, you know, places in Nigeria and Ghana as well so elsewhere. And also now like you know, other parts of Europe too. So uh, I think that's some something that like a lot of the, uh, you know, naysayers don't realize or it's like, okay, well, maybe you have a very US centric view. Okay, whatever else. But we're talking about the actual world and things are just changing a lot now, you know, generally in the world as far as like, you know, uh, just independence and things like that. Uh, I think that's the really cool thing. And I think it's also where things like Taro can help out as well, too. Because anyone that, you know, I've met in the past that working on some sort of like remittance thing, basically, this is always kind of like one of their issues as far as like doing that last mile, basically, right? Uh, but if we're able to kind of like, you know, at least make the last mile a little bit smoother or maybe let people kind of like, you know, skip certain steps of it, that really supercharges things a lot. Because now at this point, they're not worried about, okay, you know, well, I need a bank account to hold whatever else, you know, things like that. You know, things can get a little bit more uh, complicated. But this is kind of like a tool I think can help to like really streamline all that stuff going forward. Uh, and then hopefully it becomes a big way to kind of like farm people into Bitcoin in the future. I'll just make things a lot more efficient as well. Yeah. You know how to make people bullish, man. This is a... <laughs> that's the craziest thing. I like think it is, again, like, would you agree that it seems like we've hit or maybe are approaching an inflection point? Like it, it seemed... As far as like, uh, Remember, I, or? well, I, I would say more on like Lightning Network being feasible because remember, for the longest time, it was just vaporware. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, 18 months, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'd say, I say definitely. I mean, you, you can say one event that undeniably helped towards that is just like a uh, cash apps integration, basically. So, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, now, boom, people around the world can get up to speed. I think it's also very empowering for like a you know, developer because now it's no longer okay. Well, you know, which wallet am I going to recommend them to? There's you know, a bunch of different ones, maybe the, the names of words limits. Okay, well, at least you can start here. Uh, and then, you know, move on there and like, you know, get the non-custodial uh, side beyond that. But definitely, I think it's definitely a lot of things, you know, that are just coming together now on the protocol level, the application level, you know, companies, you know, waking up to it. Also, people just recognizing globally, like, this is a thing you can use. So I remember like, you know, in the past, you'd go to something like HN and they're like, oh, Bitcoin sucks, or so But now it's like, okay, people at least know about Lightning and they're talking to someone intelligently about, you know, I don't need to comment. I just kind of like, you know, oversee them. So I, I just see mm-hmm. kind of like uh, that mindshare growing and people's understanding of like exactly the unique value, value proposition of the system itself, uh, just, you know, being actually properly decentralized uh, and also some of the uh, abilities around, you know, being able to like, just, like, you know, get your node, plug it in and then move on and actually join the network. Speaking of properly decentralized, do you think it stays that way? Because there's a lot of it's talk what? about, you think it stays properly decentralized as it scales? Uh, I think so. I mean, I remember that was like a big thing at the beginning. Everyone's like, oh, there's going to be a mega hub. There's going to be three people, blah, 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 whatever else. But I think the main thing there is that like the marginal, you know, cost of like getting from the network is still relatively low, right? Okay, maybe you're not going to be an LN big and have 500 BTC or whatever else, but, you know, you yourself can join the network, basically, you know, use it, send and receive, basically, as long as like that marginal cost and that, that like your barrier entry is low, I think it will be, right? Because, you know, now, you know, we are seeing some bigger nodes on the rise, but the thing is like, if those nodes ever do something weird or kind of like people are really sketch out on them, they're going to close channels out. They're going to they're gonna basically not, they're going to route on that node, basically. So I think you have that capability. Also, given that as a sender, you control your route entirely. If you want to just avoid someone because maybe they're a honeypot or else, you can do so, right? So mm-hmm. I think as long as we have that low barrier to entry, basically, uh, it will continue to be like that. Maybe there will be certain corridors that are more specialized, certain you know activity. Maybe there's going to be a micropayments thing. Maybe there's going to be like a, a large, you know, one thing things work for else. Um, so I, I think 
yeah, I'm not super worried about that in the end because I know like if someone wanted to start from scratch, basically, they could make an entirely new network from scratch if they really wanted to. But then at the same time, you know, you can kind of like uh, make your own connections, basically. And also given the ability to like, you know, uh, optionally advertise channels uh, 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 versus not, I can also kind of like have something on the side, a bunch of unadvertised channels using Hop and or whatever else that I used to ride around other things. Maybe that's like my specialized secret backbone. It's like the, you know, the VIP, you know, <laughs> exit or something like that. So I think because you have that capability to basically self-organize, recreate, and also just like routes, uh, it really has a lot of decentralized built, in, built, in, built into the main system. Yeah. No, you made a very good point there in the beginning. Uh, the the ability to have the option to exit uh, from the mm-hmm. node by closing a channel is a big mm-hmm. um, just natural incentive to to operate in a in a exactly in a, in yeah. a way that that most of the network wants you to operate so yeah and like you know channels are voluntary that's the thing it's like if I want to reject a channel for you I can I'm free to do so if you want to reject it you're free to do so as well too so I think because we have that like you know self organizing nature and today you know it's not as if any one person was like hey open channels here open channels here open channels there they just kind of happen you know people mm-hmm. are reacting to market signals okay there's a new exchange the move my oh, open my channel over here okay I'm getting really good routing revenue so because you kind of like have that self organizing uh, trait which is very important for kind of these, these, these decentralized systems I think we'll see that going forward. I think that was a great thing from the start because, like, you know, you can say us as the initial developers, we could have been a lot more prescriptive as far as, like, okay, well, we're all going to open channels in the same way. We're going to make this very particular topology, whatever else. We're like, okay, well, no, just do it and let's see what happens. And, you know, seems to have uh, worked pretty well from here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fascinating to think like this new financial system that's budding. It's going to be run. Like, I'm a media company and I have a lightning node with yeah, you have a, a node, yeah. <laughs> a material amount of Bitcoin in it. And we contribute, I mean, material for me in our company, but yeah. Yeah, you're, like, is that going to be a job in the future? The uh, the head of Lightning Network node management at a at a clothing yeah. company or something like that? Yeah, but, super super question. Yeah, I think you know inevitably yes. Maybe it'll be like one layer removed where they don't necessarily manage all their servers or email you know directly, but there's kind of like those individuals there. And I think you know I think as um, things just pick up, like. You know, now you can say you can make some money. Maybe you need to work a little more, more harder about it. But like, you know, I think once we get that initial transactional, uh, you know, uh, volume, ideally fear or helping us maybe uh, somewhat fear things like Taro, uh, things will get a lot realer, basically. And then there'll be like kind of like more real revenue. There's going to be like more opportunity costs. I'd also say, I think at this point, like um, you know, not many routers are really concerned as far as like their total profitability, right? Maybe they're spending a bunch of money on chain opening channels. Maybe they're doing a bunch of unnecessary rebounds or whatever else. I think once people wake up to the fact that, okay, well, if I do dumb stuff, like I'm not necessarily going to you know, walk away positive, then it becomes a little more competitive. I think we're already seeing that now, for example, like, you know, or know things like Looper as well too. Like, you know, we're looking at things like the fear distribution heat map across the network, basically to see what are the hotspots. I think people also starting to recognize like, you know, the uh, ability to like modify your fear is a big thing to like kind of like signal demand and also like shape potential traffic flows as well too. So I think we're de- definitely very early in the game as far as optimization automa- automation, but uh, I think in the future, things get a lot more easier and there will be kind of like these people that maybe have their edge they don't necessarily want to reveal, you know, similar to people doing some like arm trading or kind of like little mm-hmm. thing. That little bit of edge, you know, they give you the basics, but not necessarily. So I think we're heading in that direction. And the few people already maybe that have, you know, certain edge, uh, you know, either because of like they've been there for a while, or maybe they just know when stuff's coming on, or they're kind of like some better tooling that we're releasing. So definitely like an interesting, you know, competitive landscape. Uh, and I think that competition is what's going to drive it to be decentralized as well too. Because if you're really, you know, shitty or something like that, you have more off time, someone's going to take your spot. Maybe they're going to close out your channel and go with something else. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Gosh, um, I know you're extremely busy, man. We should wrap up here, but there are six bips for Taro, taro correct? Uh, correct. Or associated with it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Why? Why bips? Why? Why do we need bips for this? 
Uh, good question. So, you know, uh, very early on when we kind of like thought of like, you know, the initial protocol and kind of like the idea or something we wanted to take a look at. I mean, I think it was very important to us that it wasn't seen as something that was like just a lightning labs thing, right? That we're just making this thing. We said, okay, well, we're doing this thing. You can come along or not. We didn't want to have like, we want to say, okay, well, you know, let's like, we wanted to also make sure like this is seen as kind of like one of the main, you know, defaults for doing, you know, asset issuance and transfers as well too. So we kind of like went with kind of like a spec first approach. Okay, put out the BIP itself. You know, even in the background, we were like, you know, shuffling around some other developers, get some feedback, did a bunch of iterations in the background as well too. I think it was important for me to like, you know, get that community level buy-in as well too, that they see as something that they think is interesting they want to build upon as well too, not something that was like necessarily just like, you know, drop, you know, from a, from above and like, okay, we're doing this now. Like, you know, it's so, okay, well, this is what we're considering doing, check it out. So I think I think the BIPs definitely bring that because, you know, we've already got a bunch of really good feedback. And I think also people, you know, I remember like after the day after drop, I had like 10 PRs to my my BIP repo, just doing things like typo ask and questions or whatever else. I think we really had that developer uh, buy-in, which is, you know, really great for me as far as like validation, just knowing, okay, like, you know, it's not people aren't going to hate it completely. They're at least like someone invested in it as well. And I think that was kind of like the right path there. You know, there's one more that uh, is going to be on kind of like some PSBT stuff. I was just waiting to kind of like put that out because I wanted to like make sure a lot of stuff was a little more solid. But I think once we get that out, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a pretty solid set. And the cool thing about the BIPs as well is that like, you know, there's one that's kind of like the core protocol, but there's also one that basically just addresses just the file format, just like, you know, the workload tree, things like that as well too. So people can even like, you know, work on implementations concurrently as well too, right? And, you know, I'd say, I think the point where the BIPs are fully finalized is when we actually get the test vectors in there and we're working on some updates, for example, the SMT one to get the test vectors and things like that. Uh, and I think this is really cool because now it's like, okay, well, it's not just our thing. It's kind of like a Bitcoin community thing. People can make implementations as well too. And I also definitely encourage people to like, you know, make their own versions of it. And I'll also try to make it, you know, compact enough where you know, they can do it and sit down and not be super bogged down as far as like some crazy complexities. Okay, well, you know, I put a tree within the tree within the tree. And then, you know, that's basically like, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> I reveal my tree to show you the tree that's actually a tree. Like, you know. Is this what, uh, was, is this what Ryan meant when he was describing like multiverse and... Uh, uh yes uh some parts of that too yeah so like uh you know it's a thing where there's something called kind of like a, a like a universe in it right and the idea is like okay well you know um uh like people need to be able to kind of like obtain these proofs but then also be able to kind of like you know query them and also understand like where issuance is actually happening on the network itself right so you can say let's say uh you know someone like a tether you know uh, issues like their stable coin they kind of like maintain this quote unquote canonical universe basically that's like indexing into all the asset issuance uh, transactions onto the chain itself, right? So now if I look at this root and say, okay, well, there's like, you know, one BTC or a uh, thousand BTC, that lets me, okay, that's the total amount that's actually, you know, in circulation there, right? There's other things where I can do where it's like, there's certain outputs designated where, so like, for example, I have an on-chain event whenever they issue because they have to spend a particular output to update this, you know, universe uh, contract as well too. That's one way you can do it. The other cool thing about it is that like, um, you know, because the SMT structure uh, has like history independence, meaning, okay, like if I have a set of keys or some assets and I, and, you know, and you have a set of them as well too, no matter what order we add them to retreat, we'll get the exact say root hash, right? This is really cool because all of a sudden I can like run the numbers myself. I can say, okay, well, let me gather everything that I actually have, make sure it adds up and then boom, I can then, then I can then also host that. So it's kind of like a combination of like a Git repo and a block explorer onto one, right? So in the other thing is like, you know, beyond just like, you know, uh, tracking the initial issues event, I can also track any other arbitrary events as well too. Because like the main key is a keyed by like an outpoint basically. So anything that spends something on an outpoint and that has like a valid proof, I can put that in there. So I said, now I can basically like, you know, use this to basically create an explorer. That also gives me a proof for a receipt of the uh, validity of the data alongside of it as well too. And there's one other thing, which is like, uh, you know, it's called like a pocket universe right now. Like, you know, let's say there's some cases where, um, you know, if someone's like issuing an asset, maybe like, you know, they're kind of like more reliant on the company or they want a little more control or like the entity referrals. You can do something where you can basically kind of like, uh, you know, create a new virtual Bitcoin transaction graph in this other 
you know, universe basically, and then aggregate a bunch of transfers in that as well too, right? So let's say it's some like, you know, individual or it's like a federated uh, entity from layoffs like that. So that I can then kind of like also scale the system by like, you know, compressing a bunch of, uh, you know, transfers on the tower layer into one transaction on the Bitcoin chain as well too. So that's some other cool, uh, you know, properties. I think in the future, like you know, with a little bit more, um, you know, capabilities, we can do something where maybe we'll allow people to like, you know, fully exit from that. Maybe there would be kind of a challenge type of thing because uh, that's something I think as well where, you know, you, you can say, okay, well, I want that for kind of like scalability, but then I also want to be able to interact and like, you know, do like a unilateral withdrawal and you know, work on other things like that as well too. So I think that's another thing where it's like, you know, Tarnalex put a lot of these problems, you know, at the forefront of the protocol. Okay, you know, how do I do validity? How do I verify, uh, you know, supply? How do I like find my proofs, right? It's not trying to hide any of that. Okay, well, this is how it is right here. And just make sure you understand the security implications also kind of like how this is put together. But otherwise, you know, I think some protocols like maybe they like a benefit off of some of that obscurity basically mm-hmm. and their obscurity. Maybe that's their back door. That's the rug or whatever. I was like, no, no, no. Let's just lay it all bare basically. And this is how everything works. And these are, you know, these things you need to worry about. And this is exactly you know, what it looks like and what we're working on uh, in the future as far as other future updates. Yeah. So as a user, you know, if you're going to engage with some of these assets, all right, here's the checklist of things I want to make sure that they're, they have, if they're issuing this to, to know that exactly the trade-offs are within my risk appetite. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So I think, you know, I think we did pretty good job kind of like, you know, in uh, creating all that stuff there. Uh, and now it's just a matter of like, you know, dropping this little code, you know, as far as showing people how to transfer that. I think also one very important thing we're focusing on is also kind of like generally APIs in general. Because to me, I think APIs always kind of like make a big thing. If you have a shit API, no one's going to use the thing. You have a great API. You basically onboard all other individuals as well, too, and to make sure that things are very easy to use. So we're definitely working on that as well and getting a lot of feedback from companies that, you know, approach us even before we uh, put anything out as far as like, you know, feedback, the requirements, things like that as well, too. So, you know, the, the code, uh, you know, drop dropping soon. I think people maybe. Uh, well, I think people, hopefully, I think people appreciate like how compact certain versions of it are. I think of it are. It was like the core thing itself, you know, is pretty compact. But I think people will spend a lot more time on things like, you know, accounting, auditing, other like, you know, fancy UIs or else. But as long as like I think that core is like, you know, short and sweet, basically and understandable, I think that's, uh, you know, just an edge uh, as far as simplicity of the protocol. So, sweet. How could anybody who's listening to this who is so willing and motivated and capable help you out with Taro if, if, uh, uh yeah, yeah, good question. So, uh, you know, I put there's like there's the BIP. Uh, you know, check it out. I posted on the Bitcoin Dev and White Mailing List, kind of like some conversation there as well too. Now I'm accepting PRs to my own BIP Ribo, which is like you know GitHub.com versus B slash BIPs. There's some PRs there, like you know, like Taro, you know, things like that as well. I also have uh, an IRC channel now. That's just it's just me. But um, <laughs> sitting <laughs> in there, like Steven yeah, Glansberg. Yeah, exactly. I'm <laughs> Taro on uh, uh, and also, you know, we have like a Slack uh, as there as well, too. But I think beyond that, like, you know, if you have any idea or you're wondering if something is possible, definitely just like shout me out because I think that's also useful for me to kind of say, okay, like, you know, what things are actually relevant protocol design wise? What do we need to work on as far as API? What things aren't, you know, well explained either? I think a bunch of, you know, feedback is basically hit you with this a little more better, which is also kind of like a, you know, big thing because explainability uh, goes a long way. If you don't really know how it works, you're kind of like, you know, suspicious about it. Like, they're, they're going to they're gonna default to no, which is like a very, you know, reasonable thing to do, right? You know, just given, uh, you know, all like the crap, you know, in the space. Uh, so I think those definitely, uh, you know, a few areas, obviously, once we, you know, uh, drop code and contributions there as far as like you know, requirements or API or integration or something like that uh, would all, you know, you know push, the, push, the, push the thing on, uh, you know, further. Yeah. Well, again, thank you. When you originally posted to the mailing list, it was like one of those cool Bitcoin moments for me because obviously people are posting to the mailing list uh, quite a bit, especially this week and last week. But oh uh, yeah, yeah. The thing is, I was thinking about getting some graph of like Bitcoin developer activity over time, which like the mailing list. It's like, okay, that's drama. That's drama. Like you know. <laughs> but, uh, 
The uh, the day you dropped the the tar- Taro announcement on the newsletter, I actually had my email browser up and like saw it coming. I was like, oh, I was posting to the mailing list, and I read it. Oh, you saw it in real time. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this that is. I read it immediately. It was like, this is really cool, like sweet. So, yeah. I want to thank you, number one, for building everything you've built, uh, helping push the world forward, helping push Bitcoin forward, and then yeah, this is extremely cool, Taro specifically, and. We're this is episode three hundred twenty six. I can't believe it took us that long to to get you on the show, but I'm very <laughs> yeah, happy. Yeah, there that were we some did. like near misses in the past. I remember, but uh, you know, it really happened. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Um, again, keep crushing it, and uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Cool. Right. No, thanks for you for the opportunity, and just you know, all generally uh, the feedback as well too. Uh, it's all you know, very just encouraging and just energizing, uh, you know, as well. So. Yeah, well, your your man doesn't seem like you need any more energy. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right, that's all we got today, freaks. Peace and love.